Good morning. It's good to have you here at Chandler First Assembly. And I'm continuing this message on Relaunch and, and dealing with the emotional strength that the first century church really had to have. But I want to start this message off with you taking a test. It's a feeling test. Now, now don't stop. You know, don't hit pause or turn me off. There's going to be no scoring in anything. And actually, I just want to give you a few questions to get you thinking about this message and where it's going to be taking us. Let me ask you this. What, um, what did you actually feel yesterday? And who of you, you felt happy or sad or maybe upset or, or even angry? Uh, did you feel any uh, joy or thankfulness? And, and did you feel disappointment or a depression or even jealousy about someone else? Uh, how about feeling ambitious, surprised, convicted? Hopeful. Now, here, here's a big question. And, and that question is this. Who felt as though God wanted to use them to touch someone's life? We've been looking at this transformation of the first century church from the Old Testament to the New Testament and how their lives were changed. And have you ever thought about the emotional well-being, the spiritual emotional well-being of that first century church? Well, today I really want to bring to light how that first century church was under attack. And, and frankly, so are we. We're under attack emotionally. Um, when we, uh, we live in a very emotional, charged society right now, and our love um, is being challenged in, in every way. Our, our lives are being challenged every way. Our church is being changed, challenged. Our home is being challenged in every way. Uh, and and here's, here's what you could say when those emotions erupt on us. You could say, well, you created that mess in my life. Um, so I have every right to be angry. And that may be true, but that could cause issues. Or you could say, that's just the way I am. Get over it. And a lot of people feel that way. Now, this... Uh, is not a safe way to maybe uh, help us understand uh, that we need to maybe control our emotions. And I really don't want to control them. I want to put some balance within them. So here's what we're going to do is, is that we're going to look at that first century church, church and see how... Uh, Biblically, they um, managed, uh, they uh, balanced their emotions in a society that was filled with a great deal of hate towards them, of injustice that was happening within their lives. But what I want us to see is the power of our emotions and what it can do in people's lives. And Mark the 12th chapter, verses 9, 29 through 30 says this. Jesus is speaking, so pay attention. The most important commandment is this. You must 
love the Lord with all your heart, with all, I mean, with, uh, love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It didn't say you should, or I want you to think about. It said you must love the Lord your God with all, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you understand the emotional impact upon this passage? If it said that you are to love your favorite team or your favorite singer or your, or your favorite movie or, or, or your favorite food, we have people with their phones, I see, at, at dinner, at a restaurant, and they're taking pictures of what they're going to eat. Like, people really care, but, but maybe they do. But they do care because they really like what was presented to them. Now, I want you to imagine what you would act. How would you respond in that game or that concert or that movie or in that restaurant? Would, would people think that you're a little bit peculiar or, or maybe just plain radical or crazy? But God is saying, I want to have an emotional relationship with you where you throw everything you have into it. Did you know that God even complained when uh, you didn't do that? He, he says, you honor me with your lips, but you can tell me that your heart just, just was not in it. Hmm. We see that sometimes in people. They, they, they're doing the right stuff, but their heart is not in it. The disciples in that very first century church were under attack. The hatred in that world was filled with unjust prejudice towards the people who really wanted to help that community. So what does that first century church do? How do they deal with their emotions of they want to love God, but they have all this, this prejudice coming against them, all this hatred coming against what they wanted to present in love? So here's the very first thing that we need to understand is our emotions. And let me give you some facts about emotions. First of all, God has emotions. Let me say that again. God has emotions. Can you imagine what it was like when, when Jesus was there on that Palm Sunday? He entered that city, and there was all these people lined up in the streets, laying their coats and palm branches down. What overwhelming joy he must have felt. Or when they started to sing praises unto him. What emotion was erupted in him? But I'm sure there was disappointment as well because the Pharisees, uh, they couldn't really see what was actually taking place. I believe that it had to sadden him very much when the religious leaders really wanted him to silence the people from their emotional joy at seeing Jesus. It even brought tears to his eyes when he sat on that hillside looking over Jerusalem, knowing what that Roman Empire was about to do to those people. And how he must have felt that in less than a week he was going to be crucified. 
Knowing that God has emotions is the only reason why you have emotions. And, and because, see, you were created in his image. If God didn't have emotions, you wouldn't. See, see the, the second thing I want you to understand is the ability to feel really is a gift from God. Sometimes you don't want to feel those emotions, but they really are a gift from him. Your emotions may not always seem that way, and sometimes they may be even challenging you, even in a negative way. But, but let me tell you something. God could use that to teach us a lesson. Wrap your mind around this is that God could use every emotion that you have to show you <laughs> that you need him. Emotions are really a great asset within our lives. If we didn't have them, we really wouldn't be human. And, and, and the idea that to have no emotions is like you're being flatlined, lifeless. How would you like to... Um, start a business with a business partner who is, has no emotions. He's flatlined. How would you like to be married to someone who has no emotions? There would be a home filled with nothing. How would you like to have someone in your life that you're looking towards that that person would um, be a part of igniting your passion for Christ? but they had no passion. It would be very difficult. That's why such an astounding verses in Genesis 1.26, it says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And as I said, the only reason why we have emotions is because God gave them to us. And you, my friend, are made in his image. The, the third thing I want you to see that there are two extremes to avoid. See, one of them call, is called emotionalism. That, that, that is a person who feels everything. Nothing else matters except how they feel. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what is right and wrong. It doesn't matter what is popular or unpopular, good or bad. Only thing that really matters is how they feel. And that very thing really begins to control everything within their life. You know, you know it's, it's, it's like, um, uh, um, well, having an outside force controlling the inside of us. The second thing is stoicism. That means that we feel the exact opposite. We have no feelings. The only thing that matters uh, is that the intellect, your will, your intelligence. So that the stoic individual emotional says, your feelings have nothing to do with what you need to do or what's happening. It's like um, Joe Friday from Dragnet. Now, some of you are younger ones, Google it, Dragnet. And he always would tell his, his people he was talking to when he was, was interrogating him, he would say, the facts, ma'am, just the facts. See, the first century church was teaching us is that we needed a well-balanced emotional life. We didn't need the two extremes. One extreme on one side of emotionalism and stoicism is 
on the total other side. And, and if you really want to Google something, if you want to Google emotions in the Bible, you're not going to find a whole lot. What you're going to find there is passion, afflictions. You're going to find a lot about the matters of the heart. And, and we still today, we, we, when we fall in love, what we, we say is that we gave that person our heart. Today, we'll tell someone, we love you with all of our heart, our mind and our soul. Here is a thought, though. If you had a hard time with some emotions in your life, and what, what you probably need to do is, let me give you a suggestion, especially in this pandemic time, when those emotions are just erupting and going from from joy to depression in a matter of moments sometimes, is open up the book of Psalms. The Psalms is a book with its impact with emotions, good emotions, negative emotions, uh, happy emotions. And when you read those Psalms, sometimes you'll even ask yourself, wow, why is that in the Bible? Well, that's in the Bible because it wants to talk to us about what is real within our lives. We all have emotions. And if you would turn to Psalms 70, within those first five verses, you, you, you would find a desperation, frustration, anger, encouragement, confidence, humility, and hope. Now listen to me. You may think that you really don't have any authority or any influence in our world today of any kind of bring any kind of unity or any kind of peace in all this chaos. But my friend, you really do. It starts with our love for God. The first century church discovered the power of that emotion called a love, and it literally changed their world. You see, that, that, that love, yes, that love impacted that first century church, and we today, 2,000 years later, we are still feeling, yes, feeling the impact of that emotion for that love of God in which they had in that society. Uh, it's a great commitment. You know, Jesus, you know, he tells us there in Mark 12, verses 29 and 30, is that that covenant, that, that relationship of which we need to have. As Moses asserted, God keeps a covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. Some have, have looked at this, that, that all, that all is like a, a triune love, is that with all my heart, all my soul, all of my strength, that all which he wants us to have. What he wants is that he doesn't want us to have any divided, well, allegiance. He wants that love towards him first. Because you see, not until I really know what the purity of that love is, could I love the world around me and all of its prejudice and injustice and its hatred and its chaos. How can I love them when he says, love your enemies? Is that, wow, I can't do that without first knowing what pure love is, to love the Lord 
thy God with all of your heart. So loving God with all of our heart it is a life spring, well, of life. It's a flow of springs of life. Actually, in Proverbs 4.23 says to us, and without one's will, desires, passions, affection, uh, perception, thoughts, rightly aligned, the life of love is impossible. That first century church demonstrated what love looked like in a very hostile world. And the beauty of that is that they changed that world because it was undivided. They didn't love this or that and another thing. They didn't just throw God into the mix. I was told one time, I led someone to the Lord, and they said, oh, well, that person, you know, they'll make a commitment to God because their culture, that they, they serve thousands of gods. They'll just add your God to theirs. See, he doesn't want any divided love. He wants it totally. Then the word says, love with all our soul. Along with our hearts, we're called to love God with that soul. And in the first five books of the Old Testament, the soul refers to that whole being as a living person, which includes one's heart, but also is so much more. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, God formed the man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul, a living creature. You see, it's, it's more than just, just love. It, it's, it's in every action and behavior of my life. It's what I talk about. It's what my hands do. It's, it's how I utilize my talents and how I re react and the challenges of my life. Our entire being is displayed and that love for God, because I love him with all my soul, every aspect of my being. And then we look at loving with all of our might. Well, when I do that, that might, well, it's spoken of, sometimes we think that as a adverb in the Old Testament of strength and might 298 times. The noun occurs in Deuteronomy in only one other place, which echoes this passage, well, in 2 Kings 23, 25. It says, turn to the God with all his heart and with all his soul and with all of his might. It's the veriness. You know, you're thinking, what are you talking about? You see, the Greek word for that is power. Their Aramaic translation is wealth. Both of these may actually be pointing to that very same direction where that's, it is that strength in which we are able to put before God is that as at our disposal. This means that God calls, to calls us to love him is not only with our physical muscles, but with everything we have available to honor God. Now, which is so powerful because wholehearted life um, encompassing allegiance to God is what he wants. This means that 
the covenant love, and I love that word, the covenant love that we're called to must be wholehearted, life-encompassing, community-impacting, um, inclusive commitment to our God. He wants all of it, all of us, every aspect that we have. You see, he wants that God affects and desire in our thoughts to permeate our very being. It impacts our thoughts, our behaviors, how we spend our money, how we dress, how we drive, <laughs> how we have forms of entertainment in our life. Whether we are eating or singing or jogging or blogging or texting or drawing, love for God, the true triune God, is an action in everything that is seen in our life. Here's what I'm asking you to do in an emotionally charged society. When everything, when everyone is taking sides, there's only one side that really counts. Until I get that right, all, all of it, yes, all of my emotions become self-centered and selfish. That first century church, those believers turned their world upside down. Here's what I really desire for the 21st century church, is that we turn our world right side up by loving God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And that will emotionally influence us in loving a very hurting, confused world around us. Our emotions are part of our very being. But in this season of a emotionally charged society, it's charged up our love for God. And when I have that in the right place, I'm able to love whoever God brings across our path. It has nothing to do with the color of skin. It will have nothing to do with political um, agendas. It would have nothing to do with financial um, security or no security. It, will, it has nothing to do with age, young or old, that love that God has, it will be towards whoever. And in a world that needs to have a sense of unity and peace, family of God, we have the word. We have the message to give to them. Let's emotionally impact our world with a passion for Christ. 